This is Rewired Radio with Erica Spiegelman, addiction and wellness specialist, motivational speaker, and author, helping individuals, couples, and families regain a sense of control, leading to personal growth, wellness, and a more fulfilling life. Here's Erica Spiegelman. Welcome, everyone. We have a really incredible show today. Um, As you know, becoming a doctor takes years of dedication and focus. But what happens when a doctor finds herself in the patient's chair? My guest today, Dr. Vanessa Grubbs, was one of the two was one of two uh, African-American women in her class at Duke University Medical School. And after meeting and falling in love with a man who had a kidney disease, Dr. Grubbs decided to donate her kidney to him. Dr. Grubbs will share her experience as a patient today with us, why she made the decision to donate a kidney, and then switch her specialty from family practice to kidney specialist. Dr. Grubbs will also talk about how this experience has, as a patient has shaped the way she treats her patients and how she approaches her practice. Dr. Vanessa Grubbs, welcome to the show. So happy to have you with us today. Thank you so much. Happy to be with you. Yeah, so what an incredible story. Uh, you know, it's I always as an addiction specialist and having um, you know, experience with with getting healthy myself. It's always interesting when you have experienced sometimes what now your patients experience. So, can you tell us a little bit about this journey of how um all of this came to be? Yes, well, um I was a primary care doctor when I met my husband and he had been on dialysis for several years already at that point. And um, I, I think just by being involved with him, I was able to see a lot more, um, a lot more closely what people um, uh, with kidney failure are living with, um, mm-hmm. in a way that I didn't see when I was, you know, during my training, and um, and just going through um, the process of um, him trying to get a kidney transplant and just seeing what he went through in the day to day really made me think that, you know, I, I should um, see if I can be his donor. And um, so I went forward with that, and um, it's been 12 years, and we got married for about four months after surgery. And uh, marriage is still going, kidney is still going, he's doing great. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. That's, I mean, you know, very meant to be, obviously. So as, mm-hmm. as somebody who was doing family practice, did you start to understand not only obviously from a personal experience, but understand like that there is, there is so many people out there since, you know, um, I, I knew you were coming on, I looked into this, but there's just so many people that are, that are suffering with, with kidney diseases and, and need these transplants. And it's, it's not always that easy to find somebody. No, it's it's a it's a really um, major problem. There's um, estimated yeah. some 26 million adults have chronic some stage of chronic kidney disease. Fortunately, most of those are not um, really advanced, um, but roughly half a million people are on dialysis now for um, full kidney failure, and mm-hmm. there's at least a hundred thousand people every year waiting for a kidney transplant, and we only do about seventeen thousand a year. So there's wow. lots of people that die waiting for one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how would people, if they're listening right now and, and would like to know more about this, how, how would people find out how to become a donor or how that if they need help with this, how would they go about that? So I think there's lots of sites, um, websites that people can get into to, to find it out, like Donate Life or just the National Kidney Foundation. Um, mm-hmm. Those are um, places. And if they know someone in particular that they want to donate to, to just call the, the um, Kidney Transplant Center 
or use go through their website to um, find out about um, if they could possibly donate. And I think mm-hmm. um, a, a great message for people is that it's, it's not as hard as people may think. You know, a lot of people, mm-hmm. they say to me, oh, my God, you are a match, and oh, how, you know, unlikely that would be, but really it's right. not. And, and mm-hmm. so we are the, we are compatible blood types, meaning that, you know, um, he can receive an organ from me. And when they, you know, this is kind of a simplistic version of um, explanation, but this is how they um, gave it to me. And that when they mixed um, a sample of my blood with his, it didn't clot, which meant that he didn't have um, what we call antibodies, these um, factors in the blood that will fight off anything foreign and kill it. Right. So that meant right. that he could accept um, my kidney and with the proper medications that he has to take for the rest of his life, he um, um, it would probably work just fine. And um, wow. and okay. uh, we're hoping that it'll take, take us for the, the rest of our days here. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, what an incredible gift. I mean, you put all of us to shame. <laughs> it's really something. Oh, no. where, you know, well, I mean, I, I viewed it as here's somebody that I love that he needed of a course. kidney. I had two. And in my yes. mind, it was something that it, it was it was just a no brainer. Like, of course, of I'd course. give it to him. And right. I, I knew it would be the best way to keep him on the planet um, much mm-hmm. longer, much healthier than even a mm-hmm. deceased donor kidney um, could, which, you know, is the most common way that people get transplants. Only about a third of kidney transplants are from living donors. So wow. it's, it's always, um, where everyone in the field is always trying to think about how to increase the, the pool for um, uh, living donors. And right, I think and just um, for people to kind of understand more about um, what people with kidney failure are living with and, and then mm-hmm. what it takes to be a donor, I think, um, can really help um, mm-hmm. the situation overall. Yeah. Well, what a blessing, really, it is. Thank so, you. So how, so, how, so how did he in particular get, get you know, this kidney disease or, or what is the major cause for it if people are uh, wondering yeah. Well, the most common causes of kidney failure in this country are diabetes and high blood pressure. That's what I thought. For every, mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. for every three people, two of them, the, the cause is diabetes and, and high blood right. pressure. For him, he was um, he was diagnosed when he was 16 years old as this kind of um, hereditary with maybe some environmental like infectious um, exposure. Mm-hmm. Nobody really knows when he was 16 years old. And then he, um, it was just uh, through a regular sports um, screening where they, um, you know, they do a, like a urine test. And that's mm-hmm. how uh, things were picked up for him. And he um, unfortunately progressed to complete kidney failure by the time he was 26, at which time he started dialysis. Mm-hmm. Wow. So young. So young. Yeah. yeah so in diabetes right now, I think it's an epidemic in our country as well. And, mm-hmm. and- you know, a lot of it, I believe, from what I've read, I've read and gathered, is around diet, and you know, really, they don't understand that. Um, anyway, a lot of, a lot of your dietary choices are having to do with why you're getting diabetes, why everybody is so um, obese and suffering with with these um, complications. So I, that is obviously something that you you know much about. You're you're an assistant professor of medicine at the San Francisco General Hospital. Well, just promote it to associate. So, oh, yay. fantastic! Congratulations! <laughs> Congratulations! Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So um, you maintain a, a yeah, private and a cl- um, you know, clinical research. Given my primary mm-hmm. care background, I'm, I, mm-hmm. my push, and I think among my colleagues too, is just. 
trying to prevent progression of things. You know, transplant mm-hmm. is a wonderful thing that can happen for some, but, you know, end-stage kidney disease is, is, is a tough illness to deal with. And so the, the, the goal is to detect kidney disease as early as possible and prevent it from um, progressing all the way to kidney failure. Mhm mhm. How how do we teach teach people and be aware of of in a like in a way of prevention versus, you know, mm-hmm. the, not not getting an ailment like this and and learning, you know, the proper ways to take care of yourself. Yeah, well, I think it's 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 mostly just kind of trying to live a healthy lifestyle and try to mm-hmm. maintain a healthy weight, which you know, it's easier said than done, particularly in, in some um, areas where it's harder to get good, healthy food and, you know, it's harder to get, um, be in a safe place to exercise outside and all of that. But um, just uh, those those are the things that go into trying to um, just uh, stay healthy. And then um, in terms of detection, early detection, it's just a simple blood test for mm. um, uh, creatinine. And that's what we use to measure kidney function and a urine test for protein. And if people are um, uh, healthy, uh, maybe have a family history of somebody with diabetes or high blood pressure or have that themselves, then to do that at least um, once a year would um, be all it takes to identify uh, or to pick up um, kidney disease much earlier than a person would actually have any symptoms. Because unfortunately, people don't, I mean, it depends on how you look at it. I say the best thing about um, kidney disease or kidney failure is that people don't have symptoms until it's almost over. But the worst thing about kidney failure is that people don't have symptoms until it's almost over. And I say that because it, it, it means people... Um, you know, nothing hurts. So people tend not to act on it or they don't take it seriously. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you let it go until it's almost over, then there's, there's no going back. We can't reverse it. Unfortunately, yeah. our kidneys don't grow back. Wow. Okay. Wow. Well, that's yeah. wonderful information for us to, to know. And I want to definitely get to, to, to your book, your first book, which is called a hundred hundreds of interlaced fingers. Um, are you, are you excited about this? So can you tell us a little bit about it and when was it? Um, yeah. Published or, yeah. Yeah. The book, um, it, yeah, this was a saga that started many years ago, but yeah. it, it just came out in, um, June and it's it's super exciting for me to, to have the opportunity to thank you to to, to get the um, get information out and um, to as wide an audience as possible. It's it's written for a general audience, so you know I, I that's the kind of writing that I love. You know, medical terms yeah. is you know nice in my research scientific writing, but to write mm-hmm. in a way that just anybody walking down the street can understand it is um, what I um, particularly love to do, and that's mm-hmm. the way the book is written. So, oh, um, yeah, so it, it is, the book is part memoir. It is the story of, you know, the love story of how I met my husband and decided to become um, a kidney donor. But the, that is, for me, really the jumping off part to the next part of my career, because mm-hmm. my solution for him was to give him a kidney. But my solution for everyone else was to, you know, try to get into the field and um, uh, at least figure out, maybe undo some of the problems that prevent um, everybody from having um, equal access to um, kidney transplants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so the fantastic. book goes into um, a lot of stories about, um, you know, what I discovered when I um, got into the field of ne- nephrology or, um, you know, the kidney disease specialty. And um, some of the things that I particularly um, discovered and found pretty um, 
worrisome and, and disturbing is, you know, how people really struggle to deal with um, their diagnosis of um, when they have kidney disease or that their kidneys are failing. And then the struggles that we go through for people making decisions about dialysis and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and trying to help people come to terms with that. You know, even though um, transplant is the very best if you have kidney failure, not everybody can have that, um, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, and dialysis is the thing that we do have, um, and mm-hmm. it's the, it's the um, best thing available for the vast majority of people. But um, some things I do go into in the book is how um, um, older people, particularly those over 75 who have um, serious illnesses besides the kidney failure, dialysis is not likely to make their lives longer or, and it probably can worsen their quality of life because, you know, it's it's not an easy thing to do. But um, so my, my hope with this book was to really just educate people to, to understand that, you know, we don't have to do things the same way all the time, that we can be more thoughtful about it and really think about what are we doing and how is it helping or not our situation. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, emotional uh, emotional well-being kind of touched upon in that, how to, how to get to a place of emotional well-being as well as not only, obviously, it's a physical um, issue we're, we're talking about, but there's so much more that goes on with somebody when they're dealing with this kind of suffering. And so how, mm-hmm. to, how to look at it in that way and, and mentally probably reframe some things as well. Um, I had a best friend in, in high school whose mom was on dialysis. She had diabetes. She was a smoker. She lost one of her legs. You know, So I saw that mm-hmm. firsthand, and, and mm-hmm. she was definitely not going to be on a list to get a kidney because she was smoking she was, you know, she yeah. was already in bad and bad health. And I remember how emotionally distraught she was, she was about dying. And, you know, and, and those are the things I, I think, you know, obviously you, you say that you mentioned and talk about, but those are the things that we don't talk about as much. So right. I'm, I'm right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, um, there's a saying and I, I kind of paraphrase it. Um, and, and, and it goes something like, um, in, in England, people feel like, um, death is inevitable in Canada. They feel like death is, um, mm, I forget the, the word. I have it in the book though, but yeah, in, a, yeah. in America, the people believe, um, death is, um, something that, um, you know, optional that we can avoid it. So, right. um, and I, mm-hmm. and I think there's, I mean, it's supposed to be kind of a joke, but there's some truth in it. It's we behave as if we never have to die if we just do more and more stuff. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that's not the way it goes. And I think what we end up doing is just creating a lot more suffering for people um, by, you know, just avoiding the the reality of um, our situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So c- can you tell me a little bit about your background? You know, I always love to have authors on my show and, and what makes it even more special is to, to understand what propels them to write, you know, and their little a backstory about them. So do you mind just telling yeah. us how you got into the medical field a little bit in, in your own story? Yeah. You know, it's, it, I, I feel like a lot of things in my life are just kind of by serendipity. So, you uh-huh. know, I grew up in small town, North Carolina. I'm the baby of six. And, um, no one really, um, you know, I'm the first to go from high school into like a four-year university. I'm the first doctor in my family. And, Mm -hmm. um, when I was, um, a junior in high school, my brother, um, you know, 17 years, 16 years, my senior. And so by the time I was, you know, able to remember much, he was out of the house and he came back Mm -hmm. from, he was in the military as a lot of people in that area. That's, that's what people, um, did for a living. 
And um, he said, so what do you what do you see yourself doing after high school? And I said, well, you know, I want to be a medical technologist. I didn't really know what that was. And to this day, I still don't know what that really <laughs> is. But it sounded it sounded good. And it was yeah. different from everybody else around me where people, you know, <laughs> tended to go into the military or they became teachers or maybe mm-hmm. they worked for one of the local factories. So um, and he says to me, well, you know, you should go all the way and become a doctor because you can. And, you know, it really struck me because, you know, my family is a kind of, you know, kind of a stoic bunch so that, you know, nobody's telling you really positive things unless they really Mm -hmm, mean it. mm -hmm. So for him to actually say that was a big deal. And I took it as, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, somebody believes that I this is something I am capable of. And so from that Mm -hmm. day, I had it in my mind that, okay, I'm going to be a doctor. And um, so I, I just went for it from there. And, you know, and you mentioned about me being one of two um, yeah. black women in my um, medical class. Um, mm. And, you know, that's that is that it's not new I'm, from the mm. time I was in middle school. I remember you just kind of being separated from everyone when they start calling you academically gifted and really always being the only black girl. And that's very mm. it can be very isolating and, and you um, you can sometimes feel like you don't belong in it. And it right. takes a long time to really come to terms with um, the fact that you do belong. And, and, and a you lot of do. people will tell you you don't belong as well. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell mm-hmm. you things like you're only here because you're a black female and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, so it, it does take a while for, at least for me, to get to the point of saying, you know what? I took the exact same test that you did to get of to where course. we both are. So, you know, mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. say what you mm-hmm. want. But um, I think those are real issues that um, I had to deal with, and I I know a lot of people um, like me have to deal with as well. Absolutely. I, I talk to patients all day long or clients, um, you know, I, I work on the front lines of addiction and, you know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of uh, people that I deal with too that, that are, don't feel worthy of success or worthy of a, of a place in the world, worthy of love, worthy of, you know, whatever it is. And, and it's mm-hmm. remarkable when I get to, when I get to talk to people and see how they've thrived and moved through the fear and, and actually have, you know, created these uh, amazing lives for themselves and the resiliency and the, the confidence that comes once you start to see yourself and have those contrasts, you know, you, you get through your first year of medical school, you get through your second year, you know, and then you, you finally, mm-hmm. hopefully truly believe authentically that you are worthy of these things and just as capable, but it, it but it is, it is, it sounds, it sounds like it is hard. And it, I know it's, everybody has, these uh, setbacks, and especially if you don't have this, a family that is constantly encouraging, either you have to find the strength within yourself. So yeah, 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 it's definitely, a, yeah, I agree with that. Wonderful. And and so now um, you are in Oakland. You live in Oakland, California, but you are practicing in San Francisco. Um, can people find you, or do you have a website? Or I do. I've um, yeah. I've kept. Um, I started blogging in 2014. And I've since uh-huh. um, expanded um, the blog to a, a full website. It's called thenephrologist.com. And uh-huh. uh, I know nephrologist is difficult for um, a lot of us <laughs> to spell. So that's with a PH, not an F. So, um, and, you know, it's funny how I landed on that um, name because somebody already had the, the website domain of the kidney doctor. So, you oh, know, really? I thought, well, you know, people will learn what a nephrologist is, hopefully, by, exactly. um, you know, my website. So, yeah, I have a website at thenephrologist.com where it has lots of information about 
um, the book as well as um, you know, just other things um, about um, me and how to get the book. I offer the first chapter for free on the website as well as a um, like a discussion guide for people who just want to look at it on their own or they're part of a book club and um, mm-hmm. information on where people can purchase the book. So, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's available widely through the, um, the publishing house, HarperCollins, uh, as well as Barnes & Noble, um, Books A Million, all, you know, various independent um, sellers. So I'm hoping that um, people will be interested and motivated to um, pick it up and share it with um, friends and family. Oh, yeah, for sure. So let me just spell it out for people. So it's www.the, T-H-E, N is in Nancy, E is in Erica, P is in pirate, H is in horse, R is in rose, O is in octopus, L is in Lima, O is in octopus, G-I-S-T dot com. <laughs> just so <Yes>. everybody knows. <laughs> it's a mouthful, uh, I know. <laughs> it is, but I want people to be able to find it because sometimes, um, you know, they they say it too quickly on here Uh, and also just one more question I I, I was really curious to ask you before is is how do how do families receive the support that they need because I know I've I've known so many people that are dealing with these diseases especially kidney disease and the family that kind of has to become the caretakers and they they live with this day in and day out helping and taking care and so emotionally mentally and physically it's taxing on them as well how how could they get support and how have you seen um you know, obviously, how have you seen families interact uh, with with the sick with with the person that has the sickness um, to make yeah, sure you know, that everybody it, it's stays? Really complicated. Yeah, I, and I think too because with kidney failure being something that um, happens gradually and people feeling well um, um, until it's very late, and they and then all of a sudden it's like they they lose their independence and they need people, yeah. and right. they they're worried about becoming a burden. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's really hard for the individual patients to um, actually lean on um, uh, others. Uh, and, I, and I think we, we don't give enough um, attention to caregivers. And, yeah. you know, I'm trying to get in the practice in my, in my own practice of just checking in with the caregiver, like, how are you doing? You know, and right. um, mm-hmm. um, trying to at least let them know that, you know, I'm thinking about them and, and, rewarding them like just with words of how you know you're doing a really great job with taking care of your mom or whomever because I think we we tend to focus so much on the sick person understandably so but um Mm -hmm. that we forget about how um their health depends so greatly on um the other people in their lives um I wish we had more resources um you know, um, I, there may be some out there that I'm just not aware of, but more resources like support groups and and um, um, and just things like through um, health services. But I think probably more people can um, um, be eligible for home support services. Um, mm-hmm. to, just to give caregivers a break sometimes, I think is important. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, I think those are the big things, and some and some things that I try to do, just in the more practical thing, is trying to minimize appointments as much as possible, just because it's hard to, you know, take somebody around to um, mm-hmm. appointments with three or four different doctors, you know, right. several times a month. So, I think mm-hmm. just um, suggesting little things like that can make a big difference for our caregivers. Absolutely. Yeah, and they and they have to ta- they have to have self care for themselves. I mean, it has to be a priority because they cannot care for other people if they cannot function and they can't sleep. And you exactly. know, I've, I've seen 
I've seen that a lot. That, and, and I, you know, that's a similar yeah. message for my, my patients as well, because, you know, a lot of them are used to being the, the caregiver. They're the ones that uh-huh. are the breadwinners. And it's hard to get them to put themselves first, take care of their health first. Um, right because of all these other responsibilities. And, and my message to them is the same. It's like, you, you've got to look after yourself or you're not going to be any good for anybody else. So, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. it's, um, it's a hard one to convince people of, for sure. Yeah. And, and hundreds of interlaced fingers. When I heard the title, I really, I loved it. And it's such a, it, for me, at least it gives me a, a visual immediately in my head of, of the fingers interlaced and, and of love and connection. And is that, huh. is that what you okay. intended? I mean, I, I, I just wanted to give you my, <laughs> my thought around I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you like it. No, it, it, that really wasn't where it came from, but yeah. I can, I, I can definitely see how it will have that kind of double meaning to people, which I think is wonderful, but actually uh-huh. It comes from um, a part in the book where I'm describing the kidney on this um, uh, beyond microscopic, like electron microscopic level where, you know, the, uh, at that level, mm. part of the, the kidney filters, there's mm-hmm. these um, like fingers that fingers, um, they're called. interlace, yeah, to mm-hmm. like form um, pores that can allow the kidneys to become basically um, like a filter. So um, that, that was my um, this, uh, effort to help describe the mm-hmm. parts of the kidney, the kidney's anatomy in a way that everybody could, you know, picture it and not be right. bored to tears. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I like it. And now I have that visual as well. And, and, it, and it actually, that's an easy way to, to learn what it, what it would look like and imagine it in that way. And also I it just, just knowing the backstory of, of your story a little bit, I just thought it was about, you know, also the connection with human beings helping each other. Yeah, and that. So yeah, yeah it works. Du- beautiful, beautiful on both accounts. Um, well, thank you, doctor, for, for coming on the show, Dr. Vanessa Grubbs. Um, and let me just give one more time, um, your, the website, uh, is www.thenephrologist, N-E-P-H-R-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. And the book is Hundreds of Interlaced Fingers. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. It's, it's been wonderful for me as well. Thanks so much. You're listening to Rewired Radio on Radio MD. Thank you all for joining us today and stay well. <laughs>